0: up so welcome back to nostalgia dave here with another pod what's going on in pop culture right now smaller pod this week but some notable items of course ridley scott's napoleon starring joaquin phoenix fx on hulu bring fargo back for season five and then on the music side of things a surprise ep from skepta and the debut single from baby monster over in the k-pop realm so four things i'm looking forward to getting into things will be picking up as the year concludes a lot of movies a lot of best of extra pods to come make sure you subscribe youtube.com slash nostalgia pod linktree.com slash nostalgia pod see the links below get the pod any way you can leave a rating leave a star do the thing see the links below for the best of 2023 spotify playlist my favorite songs of the year updated weekly best music of 2023 pod coming soon. And yeah, let's get into it. What's up? Welcome back to Nostalgia. Dave here with a review of 48 Hours, the new collab EP from Skepta and the producer Ryder. This definitely is a surprise. This definitely kind of came out of nowhere or, you know, came out last minute. Skepta hasn't been super active as a rapper. These days, he's been around. He's been doing stuff. I mean, just today, he announced his big Smoke Music Festival in London next year. Of course, his main's fashion label has been doing well. And Skepta, alongside his fellow UK rap MC jammer, he's been making noise in the EDM and DJ space with his Mas Tiempo uh, label slash project. You know, I think quite notably releasing... The Can't Play Myself, a tribute to Amy's song, the first officially cleared sample by the Amy Winehouse estate, NBD. All that aside, we haven't got too much rapping from Skepta in the last few years. I really enjoyed his All In EP two years ago. The song Bellator I thought was great. And in general, Skepta, when he's on, he's my favorite UK rapper. I think he's kind of the consensus, you know, UK rap goat at this point. Um, just kind of impeccable flow, impeccable presence, a unique voice. He's the whole package. People know this. Of course, I would love Skepta to give us more music. And in a sense, he has. Uh, this Ryder guy, Ryder, 19 year old producer, came out of nowhere with the song Skepticore Part 3, which notably is a remix of Skepta's song. Text me back off his landmark album Konnichiwa from several years ago. And this song, you know, kind of went viral on TikTok and also got the attention of Skepta himself. Skepta and Ryder link up, make this 48 hours EP in two days, as the title suggests. A few more Skepta, Skepta Core songs come into being, two new Skepta tracks with Ryder Production as well. And there we have it. And I think the Skepta Core concept, as Ryder coined it, is kind of intriguing, where it's basically recontextualizing these skeptic tracks we know. In this case, skepticore one, two, and three are covering "Bullet from a Gun" off Ignorance's Bliss*, *Konichiwa*, and "Text Me Back" from *Konichiwa*. And Ryder's style as a producer is very melancholic. It's very—I um, don't want to say meditative, but it definitely changes the vibe on the song in a unique way. Because Skepta is such a personable and effervescent rapper, it's a really cool fit to like re-t- re-try, retry the songs. And I, I think they're like really worthy remixes. In particular, uh, you know SkeptiCore 3 is the one that went viral, but to me, SkeptiCore 1 is the clear highlight to me of these, which is the Bullet From A Gun flip. Man, I think that's a really awesome remix, because Bullet From A Gun, lyrically, on this production is incredibly almost, like, sad. You know, think of, like, the classic Skepta line when you realize she wasn't your girl, it was just your turn. Skepta saying that over these, like, twinkly, uh, let's-go-on-a-walk-in-the-rain type beats from Ryder. I don't know, man. It's a different vibe, but in a cool way. Again, these are worthy remixes. I think they're definitely cool. And then the other two songs, All Alone and For You, which, of course, also feature Ryder production, and they're kind of similar, uh, to each other. They're okay, um, but definitely again, kind of giving you that emotional vibe with this kind of acoustic flow, uh, acoustic feeling for Skepta and Skepta. It's not him in his most like aggressive, but you know, still rapping the way we expect. You know, I think um on For You, I like the snares as an addition to the production is a little bit more layered on that one. So yeah, I mean overall, like, do I like any of these songs more than Bellator from two years ago? No no I do not Uh, obviously these don't compare to the great Skepta songs of the past, that's okay Skepta's got a lot going on and I'm really happy for him that he's finding acceptance and having a a time in a good way, you know, doing EDM and all that um, and performing in clubs and whatnot. I really do hope we get a Skepta full length album again, it's already been over four and a half years at this point so hopefully one day you know, I, I hope he doesn't go the Andre 3000 route and decide he doesn't want to rap anymore. And of course, he just rapped. There's a new song, so don't want to get ahead of myself. But for what for a surprise release from someone who hasn't been super active rapping these days, it's pretty good. Shout out Skepta and shout out Ryder, who I knew nothing about until this release. But yeah, let me know how did you feel about Skepta and Ryder's forty Hours EP. What do you want next? from Skepta, given everything he's got going on, and for more rap reviews, more music reviews, subscribe, and I'll see you next time. What's up? Welcome out to Nostalgia. Dave here with a review of Baby Monster's debut single, Batter Up. Normally, I wouldn't review a single. I'd wait for the EP or the album to come out, but in the case of Baby Monster, their first release is incredibly notable because Baby Monster is the new girl group from YG Entertainment. The first girl group They've debuted since seven years ago when they introduced us to Blackpink. And before Blackpink, it was 21. YG has a great track record of taking their time to develop a girl group. And when they share that group with the world, people pay attention. And Baby Monster has been teased and hinted at for a while now. There was a reality, you know, competition show about who would make the lineup. A lot of uh build-up to this release. And the group is quite young. The average age is only sixteen. And there's been a lot of uh starts and stops with Baby Monster. The debut has been pushed back. Uh the seventh member, ahyeon is not debuting and not on this this uh debut single, but may return in the future. A lot of unknowns with that. And of course this release is coming at a very significant time for YG because as we all know, Blackpink is up for a new contract after you know the first seven-year term has ended per most k-pop deals and the blackpink deal is still being negotiated it sounds like blackpink will return but in a new version with a lot of time allocated for solo activities and the like a lot of attention is being paid to what happens with blackpink at yg there are cnbc articles talking about the wild fluctuations in the, com- uh, the label stock price uh, in terms of how people are feeling about Blackpink's return and whatnot. It's very important. So Baby Monster, regardless of what happens with Blackpink or not, will be held up as a you know paragon of the future success of one of the big four gay pop labels. So yeah, lots of riding uh, on the shoulders of these young women, whether that's fair or not. And I have to say, this uh, single batter-up, which I went into completely blind, I had not paid attention to, the reality show stuff the teasing or anything like that so i really didn't know what to expect per se but i gotta say this song batter up it's disappointing it's a disappointing debut single that's for sure i think it's disappointing for a handful of reasons one of these reasons is that the sound of this song it just kind of tired and tired in the sense that for two reasons one it's very familiar to the general girl crush k-pop concept that's kind of dominated all the female k-pop we've got over the last five plus years it doesn't sound fresh it sounds familiar and on top of that the actual like song structure choices and general production choices are very familiar for like the yg house style of making music batter up very much gives you blackpink vibes And, of course, that is not the fault of the women in Baby Monster. That is the fault of the label for, I don't know, thinking their shit doesn't stink, like not really adapting. And I think it's unfortunate to release music that already kind of leaves you uh, with a bad taste because it feels like a facsimile of something greater that happened in the past. And just kind of continuing to do the same thing is going to give us diminishing returns whether that's coming from blackpink or whether it's coming from baby monster and baby monster un- unfortunately also is coming out for them unfortunately for them coming out at a time when there's a lot of competition and a lot of love for a lot of new female fourth generation k-pop groups obviously people know but like new jeans the seraphim the list goes on there's a lot of competition a lot of love but also a lot of like sonic pushing the genre forward stuff new jeans gets a lot of love for that Baby Monster feeling like they're a product of the past with their first song is not a positive development. Obviously, it's only the first song. These women are very young, so I and YG is very invested in them, obviously. So I'm not writing them off by any means. I'm just a bit let down by this song. You know, specifically if you listen to the song, you know, I think like the way the song gets into itself, the beat drop, you got know, gives you that siren. It had my attention in the beginning. And I think that first verse uh, the, the vocals are quite fun. I, I think the singing is it's, it's strong in general. I like the, the sound of the singing. But then you get that very familiar pre-chorus build up into the chorus, and it's like, oh my god, I've heard this so many times, this type of singing, this type of song structure in a K-pop song. And then you get to the chorus, and man, this is such a weak chorus, and that stinks. The batter, batter up part, it's lame, man. It is so lame. I've been talking a lot about repetitive choruses and hooks that have let me down Otherwise, other songs I've liked recently. NCT does this a lot. I did this with Batty. It's common right now. But to me, uh, gosh, the batter batter up part, it's just so lackluster. There's just not a lot of energy with it at all, which is disappointing because then verse two after the chorus the first time around gives you really fun rap verses. I think the rappers, they have some potential here. You know, I mean, do I hear some Lisa vibes? sure but that's not a bad thing like i think if you can give me competent flows and fun energy ride that beat the way they do in that second verse i think there's potential there and obviously blackpink made their name on the fact that jenny and lisa were such strong rappers some of the best you've ever had in like mainstream k-pop so that bodes well for sure um, in terms of familiarity, though, you get this big <laughs> outro at the end, and I was like, oh my god, this just reminds me of the way Pink Venom ends. I Not mean, necessarily a bad thing. I actually kind of like this song. I think it's one of the more energetic moments of Batter Up, like the horns kind of popping in. Uh, but yeah, for me, really, I could forgive this song a lot more if the chorus wasn't really so weak. But the fact that it's a familiar vibe with the lackluster chorus, those two sins together, I just, just a bit let down. So yeah, I mean, I'll be curious if Ion rejoins the group quickly, you know, like that second song or the first EP, at least, whatever. I'm also curious how quickly we get more music from Baby Monster. YG famously not a group that releases a lot of music. Look at Blackpink, you know, uh, Blackpink compared to Twice, for example. The sheer volume of music is quite stark between the two groups. Uh, YG You know, I mean, really, it's now Baby Monster and Treasure are like the two upstart young groups they have right now. So I'll be curious if they switch up their strategies uh, in any way, because HYBE, you know, partially due to picking up new labels and just debuting a lot of groups and doing a lot of different things and having their own little sub-universes with their different labels, HYBE is just dominating right now. And YG, I feel like, needs to switch up their approach, and part of that goes into the music. So let me know how did you feel about baby monsters batter up Were you let down the way i was what do you want to hear from them next let me know and for more k-pop reviews more music reviews subscribe and i'll see you next time what's up welcome back to nostalgia dave here with a review of fargo season five no Hawleys series is back on fx on hulu first season since season four wrapped up at the end of 2020 and this one is notable for a few reasons. One, it's quite clearly a return to form, a back-to-the-basics approach to Fargo, following the grand ambition of Fargo Season 4 that ultimately didn't land for a handful of reasons, including some poor casting choices. And, of course, check the Fargo Season 4 review out, youtube.com slash if you missed it. But yeah, Fargo Season 5, through two episodes, I'm feeling good. I'm really excited about this we're back in the minnesota setting season four of course decamped to kansas city we're back and you know like past fargo seasons you just have a really intriguing cast of characters with some great actors at the top our lead character dot played by juno temple her mother-in-law lorraine played by jennifer jason lee dot's ex-husband Wayne uh sorry, her ex-husband Roy Tillman is this kind of MAGA, uh big fan of biblical law and protecting the Constitution in traditional manners type sheriff character. His son played by Joe Keary, both him and Keary definitely playing off type, really fun casting there. Uh yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely in. I think uh it really starts off in a a fun way, but also I think quite tactfully because Fargo season five is the most recent uh, setting that Fargo on TV has given us, season five taking place in 2019. So it's basically Fargo's POV on the current moment, you know, pre COVID, but still closest we've gotten. And Dot being at this uh, all out brawl at like the school PTA school board meeting kind of subtle way to discuss the uh way our society and our culture is at times you know in terms of conflict and whatnot i thought that was pretty smart without be- beating you over the head with it prior to being too preachy but the crux of it with dot basically having a past running away from her ex-husband her ex-husband wanted to take her back because he is these really backward and crass views of gender relations and marriage and just the world in general. That leads you to something really fun Fargo hijinks where Dot ultimately gets kidnapped, but Dot has this ability and she's able to escape. And uh from what I know about the rest of the season, it sounds like there's gonna be a lot of more attempts to secure Dot from Roy. And thus we're gonna get a lot of like kind of home alone home defense type scenes and hijinks i think that's really fun and juno temple this is great energy for her of course everyone knows her from ted lasso but i think obviously there's more bite on a show like fargo and she's a great fit for this you know and ham this is also great use of his talents because of course ham conventionally handsome very charismatic guy you know post mad men though I think his most successful stuff has largely been like kind of like supporting villain roles, like in Top Gun Maverick, and this still a villain role, but I think it's a bigger, bigger piece, of course, of the story, and yeah, I think it's a pretty appealing uh, use of him, you know, and he's he's kind of laughing at himself in a certain sense too. His character has nipple rings that we see in the premiere, pretty funny, but uh, yeah, and his his son Gators is dipshit, uh, fellow deputy of his, played by Joe Keery. Really cool to have Joe Keery kind of back playing a asshole again. You know, haven't seen that really since Stranger Things Season 1. I think it's a good use of his talents as well. And surely uh, Roy will mix it up with uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and her squad. Because as we can tell, Dot's mother-in-law is not a fan of hers for marrying her son and, you know, being... Lower born, as I guess you could say, lower class, you know, not coming from money the way Lorraine is a debt collector and a millionaire as a result. Uh, her, her fixer, uh, you know, has this eye patch, uh, pretty funny, uh, played by Dave Foley, the comedian. And yeah, I, I just think like the setup here is great. We have more police characters as well. Uh, Risha Morjani plays Indira, one of the deputies in the area. And her uh, husband is played by uh, Lucas Gage as well, who's like this kind of fledgling amateur golfer. Like there's just so many Fargo things going on. I'm just so excited to kind of get into it, and I hope it hope it delivers. You know, because Fargo, you know, season four had lots of highs, but also lots of lows. You know, just ambitious, had lots of characters, was too much going on, doesn't fully bring itself together, and season three was. Pretty good, but, you know, a clear step down from the sheer greatness of Season 1 and 2. I'm not I'm not expecting Season 5 to bring us back to 1 and 2 times, but if we can get back to how we felt about Season 3, maybe even be a little bit better than Season 3, I think that'd be a very uh, worthy entry in the Fargo run here. Of course, Noel Hawley's been busy. He's been working on the Alien uh, TV series for FX, but he ended up making another season of Fargo first. Pretty cool. So either way, I'm pretty sure this will be the last Fargo season for some time as Alien takes up more of his time and more of his focus. But uh, yeah, I'm in on Fargo season five. I hope it nails the ending. Let me know how'd you feel about Fargo season five. Are you feeling good after season four? Let me know. And for more TV reviews, subscribe and I'll see you next time. What's up? Welcome back to Nostalgia. Dave here with a review of Napoleon, the new historical epic film from Ridley Scott starring Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon Bonaparte, and Vanessa Kirby as Josephine. Man, I was really excited for this because I'm just a big Ridley Scott fan. 86 years old. This guy is just built different. Ridley Scott continues to work and make movies and continues to just kick ass. And he's awesome. And I hope he continues to feel as rich and uh, motivated to continue to work as long as he's able Because, man, he's just doing the Lord's work for us. It's pretty exciting. Napoleon is the third period piece in a row from Ridley. And soon will be three of four in a row. Because his next film coming out about a year from now will be Gladiator 2 starring Paul Mescal. Cannot wait for that one as well. But yeah, Napoleon, big blockbuster film finance by apple this will eventually live on apple tv plus and it's a big long movie 2 hours 38 minutes that he somehow was able to make in only a 62 day shoot very impressive but ridley has already let on to us that there will be around a 4 hour director's cut that will eventually live on apple tv plus so the big full vision of napoleon will hopefully see the light of day of course it's not really official yet and honestly it's uh really in sync with how ridley has operated over time look no further than the various cuts of blade runner over the years of course kingdom of heaven a movie that via its director's cut went under a gigantic critical reevaluation and is now a much more beloved movie Ridley is no stranger to director's cut. In fact, he's probably the most famous creator of director's cuts, honestly. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing the Napoleon director's cut one day, if it comes to light, because I very much enjoyed uh, Napoleon. And it's funny because Napoleon, as a subject, you know, to be filmed, has been kind of a tough nut to crack. You know, I think probably the most celebrated of these movies is the long silent film from, I believe it's the 20s, you know, a long time ago. Also, infamously, Stanley Kubrick tried in vain to make a Napoleon movie, you know, and there's a, a, lot, a, lot, of, a lot of information about that. It's, to some, it's the greatest film never made from what we know about it. But Ridley, kind of by default, has now made the definitive movie about Napoleon, and I'm sure the four-hour version of it will probably be just that. You know, if there's one thing for me to really criticize about Napoleon, which again, I loved, is that Napoleon has such a stamp on world history and such a both enigmatic but also colossal figure, I think, in conscious in you know the general consciousness to this day, that it's hard to portray his entire adult life in a film, even a long film. There's a lot to cover. You know, and I think tracking the political affiliations and how quickly that changed coming out of the French revolution and just in general, Napoleon's uh, hold on power, but also the reasons for his various conflicts with the rest of Europe. That's probably the hardest thing to grasp about Napoleon 2023. But ultimately I didn't really mind because, because it's really Scott movie because it's starring Joaquin Phoenix. There's just a lot of stuff to latch onto with this. In a sense, it's really two movies. You have this grand war film featuring incredible spectacle incredible scale Realty scott once again proving why he's one of like the great tacticians and organizers of big set pieces that we've ever seen um you know the whether it's the siege of toulon the beginning the battle of austerlitz in austria or the ending battle of waterloo all these set pieces are absolutely gorgeous but really mind-blowing with just how big they are and even if they are uh augmented and added added to with cgi the combination of additive effects with general practical scale it's just a really impressive filmmaking like they really kind of take your breath away especially the battle of Austerlitz. that's probably the highlight of the movie overall just the sheer scope of such a famous battle and like the greatest victory of napoleon's career you know watching the cannonballs break the ice as the austrians retreat like it's pretty thrilling stuff and Of course, that is one and a half of the movie. The other half of Napoleon is this really overt kind of psychosexual, psychological uh, romance film, I guess you could say. You know, the relationship between Napoleon and Josephine, a relationship from what we understand truly of love, but also strange. And a lot of stuff is played for laughs. Like Ridley really is not afraid to dress down. Napoleon, of course, there's not even any low-hanging fruit about the Napoleon complex per se, but just watching him be like a kind of primal, carnal animal in the bedroom with Josephine is pretty amusing, but also just kind of seeing their relationship uh, play out in terms of as a way to see Napoleon's insecurities about his own self-worth and his desire to be uh, wanted and admired. Um, it, it, it's pretty tantalizing. From what we understand, the director's cut, the four-hour cut, will have a lot more Josephine. And in a sense, Josephine, very much supporting character, does not have a whole lot to do at times. But I think Vanessa Kirby is able to really imbue like a kind of a presence and and, and communicate why Josephine had a hold on Napoleon. Like that's able to come across, I think, and kind of keeps the movie flowing and. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty rip-roaring. You know, Joaquin, of course, not a stranger to playing, you know, emperors, look no further than, of course, his amazing role as Commodus, Oscar-nominated, uh, back in Gladiator, you know, 23 years ago. His, his uh, depiction of Napoleon, it's not it's not super showy. It's not super overt, but it's, it's actually quite restrained. But I think the Joaquin presence of it all, I don't know. It, it really quite works. You know, Joaquin's able to play Napoleon at his most neurotic and weird as well. I mean, Napoleon era, uh, uh, Joaquin's been great at that lately, of course. This year, a is afraid. Of course, the master famously as well. Joaquin's just kind of doing a lot of Joaquin things, and it seems to all kind of culminate together. You know, a um, lot's been made about the historical accuracy of the film. I don't really care too much about that it's not positioned as a documentary and broadly it gets most things correct i don't think there's anything offensive about this yes he didn't actually shoot at the pyramids in egypt still pretty cool visual though not gonna lie so yeah man i'm a ridley fan i'm a joaquin fan i was pretty much in the bag for this movie i'm curious what it would have felt like with the original casting where josephine was originally supposed to be played by jody comer before scheduling issues forced comer to exit the film you know comer comes across as younger than Vanessa Kirby because she is in real life, and uh, Vanessa Kirby is already a little bit younger than Joaquin, you know, for a solid margin. So I think that that that's a historical accuracy thing that maybe would have felt a little bit out of place with the ages not quite lining up quite as well. But I don't know. I think Kirby and uh, Joaquin did 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 pretty great, and um, yeah, I think if anything, like there's a sense of inevitability watching the waterloo sequence obviously you know it's coming you know he this is his great defeat this is the end but i don't know like i I was still really following it and really enjoying the time and i think again like the staging just really grabs you so i'm really curious to see if the longer cut is able to really kind of contextualize and connect the dots of some of the passage of time and the political and military kind of affiliations and leanings and things like that. That's the only thing that's a, a bit vague if you care about that, but ultimately I think the movie's be still really easy to follow. So, yeah, I think um, for a subject that has been so hard to film over the years, Ridley, Joaquin, Kirby, Apple, they did a great job. And I really hope we do see that director's cut one day. Even if we don't, though, we'll be getting a lot of Ridley soon. I am so excited about Gladiator 2. Really cannot wait. I mean, Paul Mescal. Pedro Pascal, Denzel Washington, a few other returners from the first Gladiator. Really cannot wait. Uh, So we'll be talking about that in a year. But let me know, how'd you feel about Napoleon? I think right now for me, it's kind of in the back half of my top 10 with some other really well-liked movies coming out in the last month. It probably won't stick in my top 10, but definitely a movie I quite liked. And uh, yeah, definitely a worthy film for sure. So let me know, how'd you feel about Napoleon? And for more movie reviews, subscribe, and I'll see you next time. All right, that's going to do it for the pod this week. Next week, I'm excited to talk about Todd Haynes' new film for Netflix, May, December. That film's getting a ton of love. New Godzilla film from Japan and Toho, Godzilla minus one. New John Wu movie, Silent Night, his first Hollywood movie since like 20 years ago. Pretty exciting. And yeah, I'm sure some other stuff will come up soon. A lot of best of year-end pods coming soon as well. Make sure you subscribe. YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. Linktree.com slash pod. See the links below. Get the pod any way you can. Leave a rating. Leave a review. See the Spotify playlist. Let me know it's good. And I'll see you next week. Yeah.